Hello everyone and welcome to the third ever episode of God Save the Screen. Hope you are doing well. I've got a nice weekend in store, uh, relaxing on Friday, which is the day I'm recording this for you. Saturday got a goodbye leaving pub drinks thing for a friend that's going back to New Zealand. Uh, watch Arsenal as well. Got Brentford away. Big game. Think we'll win. Uh, and then Pittsburgh Steelers to ruin my Sunday as they usually do, even when they win, which is fantastic. Uh, so this is the third ever episode. It's been nearly three weeks since the last one. Uh, this was originally meant to be a weekly podcast, but I've learned very quickly that's going to be really difficult. So apologies for that. It literally is just difficult to watch a TV show in a week record that i'm happy with send in it's a lot to do in a week so it will be more regular than once every three weeks i hope um but life can get in the way uh, unfortunately despite amassing millions of listeners very quickly i don't get paid for this so i do have to have a job etc and my wife doesn't particularly like this genre of television so i've got to bounce my time and i will also just be less picky about shows i do podcasts on even if i don't think a show is perfectly suited to a podcast I will probably just start doing it now um, just to get more episodes out there, get into more of a rhythm. Um, so in between episode two and this episode, I watched both season two of Time and season four of London Kills and didn't do a podcast on either of them, which I should have done. For the record, uh, season two of Time is really good. It's brilliant. I would highly recommend all three leads. Fantastic. Uh, the best thing they do in that show by far is they don't give the person that's committed the worst crime it's sort of built up the whole season we're going to find out the exact story of why she did what she did they don't give her really noble intentions or it was some mistake and she covered up for someone or something else happened or it wasn't her fault they try and make you like her and empathize with her even though she did a hideous horrible most would say unforgivable thing and she had stresses that caused it, but ultimately you are asked to try and empathize and understand with a person that's done a hideous, revolting thing. And that was great. They didn't cow away from that and make it easier because actually it wasn't her fault or something. So that was very good. Time, season two, were wonderful. London Kills, season four. Um, it's quite bad, as is the whole show. I watch it because the serialized episodes, the they're fine they're okay it's nearly every episode is a separate who done it they're quite good at the layering of it so you think it's person a and then you think it's person b and then okay it has to be person c and then finally at the end you find out it's person d they're quite good at that and it's quite formulaic but that's fine formulaic shows can sometimes be fantastic but they always try and wrap up each season not wrap up sorry they always try and tie together each season i should say with his overarching stories about like their personal lives of the investigators. Like, oh, the superintendent might have a thing with the, the DR. Oh my God, this is like, we, we don't care. This is a crime show. Like, it's not a soap. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, if you want something on in the background, that's, um, it's, that's what I'd say. It's good background viewing of a crime show, but it's not great. But I will probably keep watching it and I might do a podcast on it. Uh, so there you go. I also saw Killers of the Flower Moon. Obviously not the genre for this podcast, but I thought it was brilliant. Mr. Scorsese, thank you very much. I thought that was really good. So that is my apology and my mini review of other stuff out the way. 
Let's crack on with episode three. So today I am covering Shetland, or more accurately, episodes one to four of season eight of Shetland. The plan was originally to do episodes one to three and then four to six, but life got in the way. So we're doing one to four and then five to six and a sort of general season summary later on as well. So Shetland, if you don't know it, is a scripted crime drama set in Shetland. Each season covers a different crime and different sorts of guest characters, but the core detective team that we follow remains the same throughout the entire show. And the big thing coming from season seven to season eight was that the lead of the show, um, Jimmy Perez, played by Douglas Henshaw, has left and is being replaced by Ashley Jensen. Uh, So losing him, there's naturally going to be some worry. That's always an anxious thing. How do you replace the main character? How do you do it? We're all heartbroken when, you know, Nathan left Misfits and they replace him with Rudy. There's all sorts of examples. Some shows do it really well, some really don't. And I thought that Shetland was a show that was going to be okay. Because while Jimmy was the main character and always important, it was it was always about the stories that Jimmy interacted with. It was never the show never felt like it was about Jimmy Perez. So I thought going in I I, I back it effectively. I don't think the show's gonna suffer. Fuck me, what an amazing setup for the the season we get in episode one. Uh, It started incredibly. Obviously, we knew before the show, Ashley Jensen was going to be the new main character. Um, And then the first five or six minutes of episode one are basically showing us how do we get her to Shetland? How do we set up the season? But it's, it's an incredible opening to the season. It really is. Within seven minutes, you've got a new gang of criminals a new kind of guest main character, if you like, in Ellen Quinn. Uh, So much story. Uh, The new main character is set up, uh, Ruth Calder, played by Ashley Jensen. She's, like, going back home to Shetland to solve this crime, and she doesn't want to go home because she hates it. But you know by the end of the season she's going to love it because she has to stay in the show. Uh, And we know a little bit about her and her attitudes as well. It's so brilliantly set up. Um, They've got goodies and baddies and the new character set up and a murder. Brilliant opening. I was so happy because Shetland's a show that I've always liked, never loved, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I think it's in that kind of that B tier. I wouldn't have it up there with your line of duties, your happy valleys, but it's very much in that B tier. And this was very much an A star tier opening to the season with a new character. I was so excited. Uh, and they also set up the dynamic with Tosh and Calder really well. So Calder is like sort of the curmudgeonly one back in this town she hates. And she can't appreciate the beauty of, but of course Tosh loves it and appreciates the beauty of Shetland very much. Um, They set it up brilliantly, and I'm going to talk a lot about this dynamic as the episode goes on. Because they've kept it really ticking along nicely and how they play off each other, uh, I think is really good. And one of the things they did from the start, even when they weren't getting on at the start, is Ruth saying to her, Why do you keep calling yourself temporary DI? Call herself DI, trying to bigger up. Because Tosh, you know, her relationship with Jimmy over the first seven seasons, Jimmy was that mentor figure who always helped her along. If you can cast your mind back to the very first episode of Shetland, which was a long time ago now, Jimmy's investigating a crime and Tosh comes and I think she's like still drunk from the night before and vomiting and stuff. And you see her develop as the as the show goes on. And now, you know, she's kind of the main Shetland one, if you like. Obviously, we've got Ruth Calder coming in. But of the original cast, um, she's kind of the lead of it now. And she's doing really well and supported by Ruth, who keeps saying, 
don't call yourself temporary DI, you know, stand up for yourself. Tosh leads all the meetings as well, which I think is notable. You know, up at the board, everyone else was sat down around. It was always Jimmy Perez doing that. And it's not Ruth Calder who's come in and done that. It's Tosh who's now leading those meetings saying, you investigate here, you cordon off this, yada, yada, yada. So they've kind of promoted Tosh as well as bringing in another senior character. Um, And a really clever way they've sort of made that realistic is that Ruth Calder for now she's like a visiting London Met officer, so she can't be the senior one. So Tosh is having to take the reins as well. So they've not just had Ashley Jensen slot in where Jimmy Perez was and it all stays the same. They've also changed Tosh a bit and that was evident really early on, which they did great. So I'd said the first episode was my favourite of this season. And um, we'll get on to why I didn't like the others as much in a bit. But this first episode, wow. It was, it was fantastic. There's a part of this episode where you've got a cat and mouse and there's already about four different cats and two different mice and everyone's kind of chasing everyone else uh it's and you've got kind of the bag of money that ellen had as kind of the one ring that everyone's trying to get you know it's marcellus wallace's soul from pulp fiction it's the thing everyone's trying to get and it's made this amazing dynamic so i actually added this up i think you could say the four cats in this cat and mouse are howl and his buddy obviously are shetland cops Ellen is both a cat and a mouse because she's trying to get that bag of money back. And then the Bane family as well. And Ellen's obviously a mouse because she's running away from Howl and whatever his buddy's name was, I can't remember. And then the fella that stole the bag of money is a mouse as well. There is so much going on in this first episode. It's phenomenal, honestly. Uh, It was such an amazing start to the season. Uh, And then episode two rolled around. And it's still good. The whole rest of the season's still good. But I started to get underwhelmed quite quickly because I think we were promised such an epic season of television with how strong the opener was. And it's kind of unraveled over the last few episodes up to episode four. Um, I think there's a few reasons for that. You've got Howl and his assistant helper crime man person quickly kind of sidelined, which felt like a big shame. Um, You know, they get caught... And and that's kind of been it for that part of the story. Um, it's become increasingly obvious that this setup with Ellen ending up on Shetland with the shooting right at the start of episode one and the whole honeypot scheme they ran thing was really just a device to get Ruth and Ellen onto the Shetland Isles so we could have the season. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You can have an opening just be to set up the season, which is fine. But it was really cool. I wanted to find out more about this gang and the honeypot schemes being ran. Did they target anyone else really prominent? How else is that going to play out? And it just, it's kind of just dissipated, kind of evaporated into everything else, um, which I found a bit annoying. Um, I do like that after Ellen Quinn dies, that they established very quickly it can't be Howl because of the method of death and stuff, and it doesn't make any sense. It's a really simple deduction that a lot of shows either wouldn't have bothered to do, or they would have dragged out over ages and then someone would have clocked it. They'd have clocked it straight away. And that's why this is a good show. Um, They don't think the audience is stupid, which a lot of crime ones do. They try and leave really basic bits of deduction till the end, till much later on. That could have been done by anyone watching the TV that has watched a weird amount of crime shows like I have. 
Um, so that was good. They kind of got out of the way. Ellen was not killed by Hal. This is a Shetland crime thing. So I said what I liked about what they've done with Hal. I hated that they gave Hal noble intentions. Um, shows keep doing this. So many shows do this with their villains. Uh, and it's usually because they do something noble at the end and we're meant to find it believable they do something noble or it's to make a death scene they never they eventually have have some more weight to it because why would we care if a bad person dies but it's just so lazy we try and make us empathize with scumbags that's what a really good show would do and that's what time did like i mentioned earlier it made you try and have some level of empathy or interest in the character that had done a really terrible thing. Am I telling us how, oh, it's his wife, you know, they need money, they've got a kid. Like Sometimes our villains can just be villains, or sometimes they can be villains and then improve. I hate the undoing of the villainy. I really didn't like that. And episode two kind of started to undo itself with Howl and his buddy captured and dead, respectively. The Bane family member, whose name I forget, just took the money back original honeypot stuff hasn't gone anywhere at all so if it, it felt like all the really interesting strings that we had being pulled and played with in episode one were beginning to be undone uh and then they brought the tattoo thing back into it with the sheep you think oh yeah fuck the sheep are being slaughtered with that weird symbol and ellen's got that tattoo which i completely forgot about in the course of episode two because so much else was going on and that is testament to the show and how entertaining and enthralling it was um, and that was a great way to end an episode because you just, oh, fuck, yeah, that that's still going on. Um, so that was excellent. And in that third episode, it's a really good opening. You've got that weird um, anonymous cult maniac setting a fire. Um, so you think, okay, he's the one murdering sheep because he's a weirdo and that's what weirdos do. Um, and there's a lot more uh, Tosh and Calder in this, which I love. I love their dynamic. I love both the performances as well. Um, Ashley Jensen's great. Um, such a good addition to the cast. Really happy they got her. Good to see her in a kind of grittier role because she is a very good dramatic actress. Um, she's known probably probably primarily for extras and Ugly Betty and stuff, um, but she's really good dramatic actress. She's very good in Catastrophe as well. Where I mean, that whole show treads the line of comedy and drama really well, but she's a big part of that. Uh, she's excellent. Uh, and Alison O'Donnell as well marvelous as ever can see her kind of grappling with the extra responsibility that tosh has and that parallels real life really well because the actress alison o'donnell is now filling in the gap left by uh douglas henshaw so it's almost the same thing actually um i didn't actually consider that until i just started speaking but tosh has been promoted as has alison o'donnell effectively but ashley jensen slash reed calder is still there and their whole dynamic's lovely. Um, and they keep reminding us Tosh is in charge by either criminals or other police officers telling us that Calder actually has no jurisdiction. Tosh is in charge. Um, so she's the Jimmy Perez replacement just as much as Ruth Calder is. They keep reinforcing that, and I really like that. So that's what I liked about episode three. I didn't like the body-stealing scene. It felt stupid. And they give a decent explanation for it in episode four, but it just felt a bit goofy. And I don't, they, they were not going for goofy because it's meant to be a really scary scene. But him 
like going into the morgue and sneaking the body out and like avoiding the people in the morgue. It felt good. Yeah. Goofy is the word I'd use. And yeah, it, it took something away from the sort of dark, intense nature of sneaking around a morgue. Um, if this felt, a, it felt like jumping the shark basically a bit. And then the kind of resolution from that, where they find Peter Eyre, um slash maniac man, um, trying to burn her body and chanting weird shit no one understands. You would think he has to obviously have killed Ellen, but we also know he probably can't have killed Ellen because there's three episodes left. But at a certain point, how many people are we going to believe might have killed Ellen? Because we've got the original Honeypot scam where these guys were chasing her and the weird tattoo cult guy man. And it's none of them. Like, how many people are we meant to... How many possible really good suspects can there actually be? You also had Tom Knox as well, who turned out to be not that bad from what we know. But it it's becoming suddenly they've created so many suspects for this. It's how can one person have had this many enemies? Um, and they just keep throwing in new suspects as the episodes develop. And they quickly work out, oh, no, it can't have been them, can't have been them. So who was it? And then I feel like by the end, by episode six, which is realistically when we're surely going to find out who killed Ellen, it's just going to be the one person they haven't really quickly been able to rule out for various reasons. And I did not care for the sister thing, which they put in and took away really quickly. Do I have to care if Ruth and Ellen might have been related? Because I didn't care when she thought they might have been half-sisters. And when it came up in episode four, that, oh, no, we're not. It was just a very, very cheap trick to keep people watching um, week to week, which I get shows kind of do have to do, but, yeah, not for me. If you consider the ending of episode two, where Ellen has the same tattoo as the sheep being slaughtered that get marked with, that was a brilliant sort of cliffhanger to keep people in because it develops the story. Suddenly, Ellen's murder, oh, shit. That could be the motivation. This could be some weird fucking cult thing. And having said that, Peter, uh, it seems I like didn't actually kill Ellen. But Rosemary, that was brilliant. That was probably my favorite sort of, um, I guess, plot. My favorite avenue they've gone down since episode one was nice, sweet, quiet, innocent Rosemary turning out to be the psychopathic sheep slaughterer who's kind of been under the spell of Peter Eyre. They did that really well. They layered it really well. And I mentioned the layering. That's about the only thing London Kills does really well. That's something Shetland's done really well the whole time. Um, you think it's person A and then uh, person B, and they eventually hone in on Rosemary's boyfriend. And you think, okay, it's definitely him. I was thinking, okay, it's him. It has to be. And then you see Rosemary coming in with the night. Fucking brilliant. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed that. And her interview as well. And they did this well with Peter Eyre as well. The weird cult people, they don't really explain or have a good like answer or they're not particularly, they're not like con trying to convince anyone. They just are a bit embarrassed and a bit cheapish, if you pardon the pun. Way. Um, and I really liked that. I think that's a much more grounded way of doing this than a lot of shows would have done. They're just weirdos with weird beliefs that they don't even say in real life to real people because they know how stupid it is um so i really liked that 
the stuff with the Bane family and the Noxes hasn't really got me. Um, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later on. But it feels like it's kind of geared towards something to do with them and obviously Ellen's old therapist. It's going to be about that the last two episodes. But I think what's kind of happened is they've been a bit lost in the shuffle. You know, I talked about how much I liked in episode one all the different plots and the different strings being pulled. I, I really enjoyed it. But as that's kind of all slipped away, you know, Hal's in prison. I don't know if we're going to see him again. The honeypot thing didn't go anywhere. We know who's been killing the sheep now. Um, and we also know who the main sort of weird cult man is. As these A, B, and C plots have kind of been stripped away and the focus on the D plot, we're suddenly asked to believe the main plot is the one that's kind of been in the periphery the whole time and we haven't been paying as either as much attention to or we just haven't got as much of it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I can't believe it's the end of all of how the weird cult cheap killer people, um, the drug stuff with Ruth's Old Flame. I can't believe that's all done. Um, and obviously Cal, Ruth's Old Flame... Um, appears to now be dead. Um, what well, appears to be a car crash, but I bet it's not. It's probably some crime. But again, that feels like it's going to link back to the Banes. Um, and that will obviously be the tool that keeps Ruth on the island because she now won't leave because someone she cares about is dead. But it feels like of all the avenues they had in the first couple episodes, we're kind of left with the less interesting ones. That's what I'd say right now. And I feel like I've moaned a lot in this episode for a show that I do really like and a season I'm enjoying. But I think I'm enjoying the individual episodes more than the actual season of television. Uh, I bet if you went back and watched episode one, you'd be shocked at how much of what's happened there and thought would be a really big part of the season as it went on is now kind of resolved or basically resolved and we've still got two hours of telly. Uh, and one of the things they're going to talk about is definitely... Um, Ellen's old therapist, whose name escapes me, being blackmailed by another member of the Bane family. Um, if I was putting money on it, which I'm not, because Bet365 don't take bets on Shetland, um, that therapist man, whose name, again, I forget, killed Ellen because she was part of the blackmail scheme and he was terrified to see her back on Shetland. But honestly, I don't know. They've they've layered it very aggressively. Um that's uh, Rosemary or the therapist man. That's what I'm thinking. Rosemary's motive is too good. She was clearly pissed off when Tosh and Ruth really scratched that itch. Like, oh, I think Peter liked her more than he liked you. And she's like, no, no. The weird freak lonely girl did not like that. I don't know. And it's definitely good that it's unpredictable. That's obviously a good thing. But I don't think unpredictability should come at the expense of realism because as i mentioned earlier there are so many people that could have really feasibly killed this 22 year old girl um and they meant they made a big deal of mentioning the second episode it felt very personal um and she died of a heart attack while being strangled so i actually now think they're probably going to do it it was some kind of fight and it'll be a manslaughter thing which definitely could point to rosemary so yeah the official predictions are either rosemary killed her in a fight or her old therapist killed her on purpose because she was blackmailing him and he was freaked out to see her on Shetland 
Uh, but I'm really excited to see what happens next. Um, I think this season's job, as much as being a good season, which I do think it is, despite not being the season that was promised at the start, was just to set up Ruth and Tosh and everything. And they've done that brilliantly. Um, I'm just a bit disappointed of where the overall story's going from where it looked like it was in episode one, because mad gang people chasing down Ellen seemed really interesting to me. And the cult thing seemed really interesting to me. And they've both kind of just gone with something of a whimper. And the Bane family and the therapist is what we're left with, which isn't as interesting to me, but I'm excited to see where we go. And that is about it. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope I'm going to do more of these more regularly. I am going to do more of these more regularly, I swear. And if you want more, just pester me. Pester me. I hate letting people down more than I hate letting myself down. So give me a nudge if you want anything. Any shows you want covered, give me a shout. Uh, You can get in touch with the podcast on Twitter at GSTSpodcast or email, um, which is GSTSpod at gmail.com. Uh, a huge thank you as ever to Mr. Alex Towles, who edits, makes music is is, is music is, is up. He puts the music on the podcast, makes us a podcast basically. You can find him on Twitter. His at is Alex Towles, Towles the two L's. Um, wonderful man. Get him to edit a podcast for you. Um, do not take him out for a beer. Uh, he thought Stella Artois was a French actress. That's it from me, guys. Thanks so much. Bye bye. <laughs>